the place. You ready? This is the moment. Uh, this is the place, that secret place, it says, where there's peace, there's love, there's God in this place. Sometimes, you know, in those moments and places in life where things are so hard and they need healing, are so challenging and you need comfort, and you don't know exactly what to do, that holy place is where you can go to and find that love and find that peace. Sometimes that holy place you may have been looking for a long time, and finally you find it, maybe not in your home, but maybe at church. Sometimes you find it where you don't even expect to find it. And sometimes within your inner being, you haven't found it anywhere else, but you've got that one spot, that secret place that is holy. That secret place where you know God loves you, that sometimes you even let the belief out to dance a little. You know that holy in that secret place. And in that place, when the rest of life is getting you down in that place, in that moment, in that spot, you stand. No one else can see you, maybe. But you started standing right there in your heart. And then you're able, as both songs said this morning, to make it because God loves you. And make it because God's with you. This is one of those moments can you believe me when I say that actually every day is one of those moments? Because we have the choice whether we go to that place and let that little belief out to dance or whether we choose not to. And whether we trust God enough to be with us in that moment and in that place, no matter what is going on around us, no matter what life is giving us in those times. Well, goodness, what does that have to do with money? And now we're supposed to talk about today, money. We have our three weeks, the last week, this week, and the next week for our stewardship time here at Resurrection. It'll get off easy this year, not four weeks, and then last week wasn't really a sermon. You feel blessed? <laughs> you know, some relief, good. And we're doing this thing with Tom Berlin, his book called Defying Gravity. And, and he talks about gravity as something that we need in life. Gravity is something that helps us stay stable. Our feet get to be on the ground, you know. Uh, and, you know, when, when you're young and you learn to walk, walking is nothing more than a series of falls, a, a series of managed falls. You get to go farther and farther and farther, but we need gravity to stay grounded. And he says the thing about gravity is, you know, they had to discover it. They didn't know it was there. It was sort of invisible. And they had to discover what this thing was, and then they attached it to masses. So the bigger a mass, the more gravity it has. So the earth has enough gravity to hold the moon. The moon has enough mass in it to make tides on the earth. The sun has enough gravity to hold all the planets within it. You know, and so all these things have different levels of power in how they can keep things amassed around them. And so he talks about that and talks about having too little or too much gravity in our lives. And he parallels it to our financial lives. And he calls it financial gravity. And that can, can weigh you down and keep you unable to make decisions and, and make sure that um, you feel like life is just nothing but paying bills. That that can keep, you know, open that credit card bill. Have you ever shuddered before you opened a credit card bill? I know I have this month. Um, but those sorts of things. And today he moves from talking about the earth and the sun's gravitational pull to talking about when there's too much gravity and there's these things called black holes and those are those things in space where it is so much, you, don't, you can't even see them because they even swallow light. 
And, and those places are so strong that everything, you don't know it's there, you know what's happening around it. It's just you can't see it, but you see what it causes. And therefore, you know something is going on. So he's talking about having too much gravity and too little gravity. And I want to use our scripture lessons from last Sunday and this Sunday to talk about that a little bit. Uh, if you were here last Sunday, you'll remember we had the scripture lesson of the rich young ruler who goes to Jesus and uh, is telling Jesus and says, well, I've done everything, Jesus. You know, what am I to do to inherit this life that you're talking about? And Jesus looks at the young rich one and has compassion on him and knows the right prescription for him that day. And the right prescription for him that day is go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And as the story set goes on, he chooses not to. You know, here Jesus gives us an invitation to be the 13th disciple. And he chooses to walk away. Because he's so held by everything he has, he can't leave it. He's so held by what he knows life to be, there's not another opportunity he can consider. Even if he longs and aches for it, he's bound by the mass that's around him. So in that story, it's real important to know in that scripture account, one verse later, it says, but in, with God, all things are possible. Okay? So with God, all things are possible. So when you hear the story, it's not any condemnation or people that are wealthy. It says it's difficult, but with God, all things are possible. And last week, we learned that you need to get control of your possessions or your possessions will get control of you. Okay, just a simple truth that Tom talks about with this gravity, having too much and not being able to break free in order to experience life in the way you want to. So we have that young person, and this Sunday we get another young person. This young person is who we call the prodigal son, the child that tells the parent that he wants everything now, doesn't want to wait. I want it all right now. Please give it to me now. You know, I'm young. I got it going on. I got things to do. I can know what to do with this money better than you know what to do with this money. So just give it to me now. You know, and so as the story goes on, this young person is not weighed down by anything that he can think of. He thinks he's flying free, right? Thinks it'll last forever. And it goes through his fingers like sand and it's gone and he ends up in a pigsty. And as the story goes, he came to himself. He came to himself. And remembered he had a home. He came to himself and remembered he had a home. I don't know about you, but I have seen people who claim to the high heavens that they're free, they're free, they're free. And I look at them and I say, you are so bound. They think they're that butterfly flutting around, but they're just chained to that rock. Just flapping, flapping away, but they're not going anywhere. Maybe you've been in that place in your life sometime too. You might have to look back to it and remember, oh, I was in bondage at that time, but I thought I was free, and I thought I knew what was best. But before we leave the story, I want you to know a little bit more about what that young person said to its parent. The young person said to them, you are dead to me. When you told your parent, give it to me now, the inheritance, that meant you no longer were a part of that family, and that that person was dead to you. So I want you to hear what Jesus is saying to us in this. One of the things, there's many, but for today, this is the one we'll focus on. Jesus is saying to us that God is like that parent. You can tell God that God's dead. And God's going to be waiting with you with open arms, longing for the moment you return. 
You can say, God, I don't need you anymore. I can do everything on my own. I can be just free from anything like that. I have no, what is that song in Pinocchio? Got no strings to hold me down, to make me fret or make me frown. Just dancing away. You can say all those things to God. You're dead. The moment you turn back around to head home, waiting, open arms for you. And been looking the whole time. This is what Jesus tells us God is. Can you believe that for your life? This is who God is for you. Can you open that little secret place in your own being and let that belief dance around a little bit? Dance around in such a way that you find healing, that you find joy, that maybe you can even stand a little longer to make change happen in the world. So these two young people in the scripture, last week and this week, the one who couldn't break free because they had too much, and the one who thought they were free but was still held hostage by not being able to see gravity. They denied that gravity had an effect on them, just denied that it was there, but they were chained the whole time. So once you hear that verse again, all things are possible with God. Even when you can't see what's pulling you, all things are possible with God. Tom Berlin tells the story of going to one of those big, mega, um, mechanical, what do I want to say, where they sell TVs and computers and all those sorts of lovely things. Y'all been in those stores before? I think you've been in those stores before. So he goes into one of those stores to get a cable that he's missing. One cable. And before he gets back there, he finds himself wandering among the big screen TVs. An hour later, he's still looking at big screen TVs, and he's forgotten why he went in the store in the first place. That's called a black hole. <laughs> you know? It was invisible, but it exerted its energy on him, and all of, all of the conscious decisions he had made before were gone out the window, and he was just learning, you have one. Each of you have one, I bet. I told you already, mine is the kitchen supply aisle. <laughs> you know? If, you, if I don't know what it's for and I can find out, I have to have it, you know. And then Lord knows if I'll ever use it. Um, but it's this, this, this thing that puts pressure on my life, thinking I have to have more instead of being free to be able to say, no, I don't have to have that. Well, all things are possible with God. Do you all know what happened to anyone? If you're in the first service, you can't say who the, what the answer is to this. What happened on July 20th, 1969? July 20th, 1969. Man on the Moon. Anyone else remember that? Man on the Moon? Most of us are always alive. I was, I was alive. So it was a big deal, right? Yeah, we saw the gravity difference. He kind of got to bounce around with less restrictions. One great leap for mankind, I think, was the phrase that Neil Armstrong used. Wasn't it a great day? Yeah, it wasn't a good day. It was a bad day. It was my 10-year-old birthday. Nobody cared it was my 10-year-old birthday. <laughs> they were all looking at the TV that day. Poor Troy, 10-year-old, nobody cares. I think there was a cake, but I certainly wasn't getting any attention. You know, so on that day, I was sort of needy. And I was one of those things, you couldn't have given me enough attention or energy on my 10-year-old birthday, right? It was just one of those, I kind of became the black hole that day. You know people like that in your life? 
just kind of sucks the light right out of you. <laughs> well, it was, a, it was a challenging and interesting time. I found out later that what really happened on that day was that my mom decided to leave her second husband. And so at the end of the day, we got in a car and we moved to a new place. There's gravity and there's gravity. There's things that affect you and pull you for the rest of your life. You might not know what they are. I always got itchy around 10 years of anything. My first year, uh, my first relationship of 10 years ended at 10. One of my employment opportunities, which was going fine, ended at 10. You know, so I had to sort that out and figure out, I don't need to have this pull on my life. And what was it and how can I be free from it? So what do we do with Jesus and the fact that he talked about these financial challenges that people had of being free from things and being able to be generous? You know, he talked about money more than anything else in Scripture. It's well-researched. Look it up. So it meant people had a challenge with it. Something about generosity was just too challenging for people that Jesus needed to talk of with it, about it with them to help them be free. There was a study done in the United States in 2010, and in that study they surveyed 2,000 Americans. And of those 2,000 Americans, they did in-depth interviews with them, and they also did um, some anonymous surveys so they could try to get the best information they could from this group of people. It was over five years. And what they found about this group of Americans, which was typical of many of us in this room, was that 44.8% of them gave zero to a charitable purpose during the year. 44.8% gave zero. We're talking not even Girl Scout cookies. Zero. 44.8% gave zero during the year. Another 41.3% gave less than 2% of their income. Less than 2% of their income for the year. And that adds up to what, like 85, 86% of the world, which leaves 14 to 15% that do the heavy giving in the world. And you might say, oh, well, that's okay. I don't give money, but I give time. Well, they interviewed the same people about that. And of those people, 76% actually gave no volunteer hours to any organization. So you wonder why Jesus might have talked about money and service. Maybe we have the same challenge today and aren't so different from those people 2,000 years ago. It's nothing to feel shame or blame about. We're just saying what is, what they knew to be true. And what does it mean to break free? To move from a place of scarcity to a place of being a steward, a place of being a co-creator with God, where we believe investing in good in the world. We believe investing in love in the world. We believe investing in hope in the world. We believe in investing in healing in the world. You know, what does it mean to maybe change how we do things so that we are able to do that even more? Or does gravity keep us to a place where we say, no, I can't break free, and we go away grieving? Because of those two persons, I don't know, do you want to be the one who went away grieving and missed the opportunity, or do you want to be the one that came to himself, comes to herself, and says, there's a home and we even know the end of the story. God's already running towards us, even before we turn around. Can we be that kind of hopeful, trustful people in God's 
love on our life. You know, generosity doesn't happen by accident. And Jesus knew it. Because he kept telling them over and over again, you got to shift your priorities. It just doesn't happen by accident. you got to think about it. The first few years Walter and I were in Chicago, tell a story on us, we had our townhouse still here in Houston because we always hoped for the day we would move back. And after two and a half years, we decided to sell it because we lost hope. And here we are. But... So it was in Montrose, so we got a good rent for it, and we probably netted about between $1,000 and $1,500 a month off of the, the townhouse we had in Montrose. Well, then the time came where we sold it, and so we knew we couldn't spend that money. We had to keep that money for when we were getting our next house. We needed a down payment. We didn't want to have a 30-year mortgage because we were getting older. So we sold the house. And, but what I want to tell you is for those two and a half years, where we had between 12000 and 18000 more income, we don't know where it went. We just don't know where it went. It was our first couple of years in a new city, and patterns were different, and things were different in our lives, but we just didn't keep, it just ran through our fingers. When we sold the townhouse and didn't have that income anymore, we were able to live. Boy, if Jesus had just talked to us a little bit sooner about some generosity or some planning for the future, maybe we would have left this Chicago with another twenty-four to 36000 and maybe my retirement account or maybe somewhere else. But in our lives, there are times where we make choices about what we, how we live and what we do. And then we might feel stuck by them. But we can shift them. We can learn and we can grow. Now, I told you all last year and the year before that when I ask you to give to our congregation, I do not want you to do so to put yourself into debt. This is not an enterprise where we're asking you to go into debt to give to this church. That's a real important thing to know because we have such a problem in our society with wanting more, having more, and going into debt to get more and thinking we can have it all. This is not about you going into debt to give to this congregation. This is about you investing in what's here because you love it, but not doing it in a way that puts you at financial risk. And so if you're a student and you're still struggling to pay off financial loans and the car payment and you don't even know where you're gonna get month, next month's rent, I don't expect you to pledge 10% to this church. We need you to be in good financial shape. And that's a step to getting better. You know, and I also, our ask for you has been these last few years, is if you've never given before, calculate the math. Figure out what 5% of your income is. We know the Bible says 10%. Calculate what 5% is and see what it might take to get you there of your income towards giving. We just saw that there's a gap between, right, 85% give 2% or less. And it's not just to church, it's to all giving, 2% or less. So we recognize in church, we're asking you to experiment with what Jesus did, and that's generosity. And what does it mean to even go beyond the 2 to 5% and maybe 10%? It took Walter and I years to get there, but now we give 10% annually. A couple of years, we've given 11 and 12% when the church has asked for some extra gifts. Some of our people give 20% because they have the capacity to do so. And I want you to know this is not about wealth. There's some people who make 
six, seven-figure incomes and end up the year without a penny. It just flows through their fingers and haven't planned generosity. There's people who live on fixed incomes and are retired that are able to give 10% because they thought about it and they know what it is they want to do. In your bulletin, or you got handed as you came to your, uh, through the door today, this little handout. We hope this can help you wherever you are, whatever your wealth status is, that if you look at this, because it talks about first things first. First, if you're in debt, find some resources to get out of debt. Second, make sure you save. Third, start thinking about generosity because it doesn't happen by accident. If you want to be a generous person, you have to plan for it. And then the dirty word, budget. You know, I'm, I'm in a household of three now, and two of them think it's an evil word. So, <laughs> so, so budget, you know, but to be able to plan for what you need to do. So this isn't about shaming or blaming. This is about your health. And Jesus said your financial health is related to your spiritual health. The way you're able to serve and the way you're able to give. What you're held down by and what you need to be freed from. And we know that generosity is one of the ways you can find a way through. How does generosity change you? We heard six stories last week. And I invite you, if you missed last week, to go on the Facebook Live and listen to those six generosity stories. How does it change you? People who learned how to break free last week shared, I'm just going to read a sentence from each one of them. I do what I do and I give what I can because Jesus never gave up on me. I learned I must step out in faith because my resources are from God anyway. The answer is because God loves me and God says, do it because you can. My students will never know that you were the angels. True giving is out of one's soul because giving is an act of worship. And start with a dollar. Wrap it in love and prayer and you'll be amazed. Wherever you are, these are your stories. These are from people who've broken free. You can break free too. With God, all things are possible. Amen. Mm -hmm.